and you'd see young people, rich people, middle class people all shopping in Whole Foods where the mangoes were three times as expensive as the Safeway or the produce market. They'll do that even if they can't really probably afford it. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Samir Call is an investor with Kosla Ventures, and I suppose you could say he works with Silicon Valley moguls. But he also sits on the board of the U.S. ski team, so it's the skiing type of moguls he's excited about as the Olympics are underway. Here is Breezy Johnson. Chloe Kim with a You know, obviously Michaela Schifrin and Breezy Johnson on the women's downhill side, or Travis Ganong and Tommy Ford, who are both from the Lake Tahoe region, are really exciting. And then, yeah, I think the Chloe Kim and uh, on uh, snowboarding is going to be really exciting. Where did the where did skiing begin for you in life? Pretty late, to be honest with you. You know, as kid of immigrant parents, skiing wasn't quite high on there. You know, it was math, science, math, science. <laughs> and uh, so, um, it, you know, it really started in my 30s when I had my kids because um, I wanted them to be learned to ski. And we lived in California, driving distance from Lake Tahoe. So uh, so I've probably been skiing for 15 years and I, both our whole family enjoys the sport. It's a great family sport if you're a skier. The time on the chairlift with your kids, especially as they get older, where they have nowhere to go but to talk to you, it's uh, it's been, it's pretty fantastic. Now, I started skiing when I was about twelve, but that doesn't mean I'm I'm you know a board member of the U.S. ski team. How does a guy who's been skiing for fifteen years be involved with the U.S. ski team? You know, I had a lot of friends on the board, and w- one thing that and you hear stories about the ski team and and the athletes, and there's a sexy you know. You're Bodie Miller or something like that, Michaela Sheffrin, and there's that. Uh, and then there's everybody else who've dedicated their whole life to skiing, have basically gone to ski academies for education, and then what do they do now? And so I said, you know, one way I can help, you know, and these are athletes that are representing our country. They're putting it all on the line, you know, uh, four years of hard work for a couple minutes on the slope, right, that kind of thing. And so I said, look, one thing that I can help do is because I'm involved in a number of companies is help folks um, after, for their post-ski careers and what can they actually do. And so that was what, you know, I love skiing. I love watching all sports. My kids all ski um, and love it. 
I thought, what a great way that I could maybe use a little bit of my platform to help these folks um, in their post-ski careers. What's the appeal of skiing? What reverberates with you that that makes skiing something that you're you're excited about? It's just so multifaceted. So if I want to go out in the morning for two hours by myself and have my AirPods in and listen to music, and it's very meditative, right? You can just ski up and down and take the chairlift and you get this really nice rhythm and the sound of the snow on your skis is, is, is really exciting. It's a great family sport. So we do a lot of family ski days where you got, you know, my young kids and my wife are all different levels and we can all just spend a lot of time together. Um, and then if you really want to push yourself and challenge yourself physically and mentally, I mean, half of it's between the ears. If you're on some of the harder stuff is uh, it's mental and and uh, it's great. It's great to spend time, you know, on work trips to take a bunch of CEOs and um, spend time with them there. It's just a nice destination. Be outside, spend quality time together. No screens, no, no iPads and uh, and just have a lot a lot of fun and it's a sport that you know people can enjoy like i used to play a lot of tennis growing up you know, tennis is hard unless you're about the same level it just isn't that fun with skiing you all take the chairlift off there's always a super difficult way to get down and there's an easy way down you can meet back up on the lift line and get the 10 minutes on the chairlift back up so i, I, I there's a lot of things i love about it I'm going to take advantage of that obvious metaphor there for investing, the easy way and the hard way. Easy is investing in the obvious. Hard is finding those opportunities that are not obvious at all, like food. Pat Brown, a Stanford professor, approached Samir and his boss, Vinod Kosla, with an idea to make burgers out of plants. And Pat had nothing. He didn't even have a sample. And he... He had a presentation of how he was going to change the entire food, food system in this country and in the world. And by doing so, save the planet. Right? You would think he would have a tray of things to taste. I think if he had a tray of things to taste, we would have passed. I think at that point it wouldn't have been That bad at first, huh? Yeah, that, well, the first few samples were, were quite comical. Um, uh, no, no, look, the food thing, to be honest, was... Uh, was a result of us licking our chops on some of the beatings we took in clean tech. You know, clean tech was a tough sector. We had a lot of, we've now, as you go full cycle, we've had some real tremendous wins that have gone public and have, you know, so it's been a positive category for us financially and obviously for the world, very positive, but you know, it was a, it was a tough time. And, and I was thinking, I was like, wow, I was pretty disheartened because I was thinking, wow, people won't, uh, people talk a big game, but they won't pay more for power and they won't pay more for fuel for their car. Uh, so power, so energy really is a commodity. And then I read a few books about animal farming uh, and how bad that was for the environment. I never thought of that. I never knew that cattle farming, you heard about methane and cow farts and jokes like that, but I didn't realize it was as bad for the environment as coal plants were. And uh, and then you go into a whole, a whole Foods open to my little neighborhood in San Francisco, and you'd see young people, rich people, middle class people all shopping in Whole Foods where the mangoes were three times as expensive as the Safeway or the produce market. And you're like, wow, people will pay a ton of money more for food if it has, if it's organic or if it's locally sourced or if it's whatever, right? Um, they'll do that even if they can't aff really probably afford it. So food is not a commodity, you know, food, whole foods proves that out. It, it organic proves that out. All these, 
And it's as bad for the environment as coal, which we learned the hard way was a commodity. So why wouldn't we look to invest here? And within that six-month period of us understanding that, Pat came to us with this idea. And we're like, yes, let's do it. And then we did it. we've done a series of companies since then. You know, Impossible was the first. Soon after, Just Eat, you know, which was the former Hampton Creek. And we've done Ripple and Joywell and, and a few others as well in plant proteins and figuring out ways to reduce sodium and figuring out ways to reduce sugar and while maintaining But does food scale as well as, uh, say, you know, uh, uh, investing in a sales force? It's very different, right? You know, a SaaS company scales as a function of how many qualified SaaS salespeople, how long does it take to spin them up and what's their quota and are they able to achieve it, right? And so you can see SaaS companies can grow in a linear type way. What I'd say about food is the market's monstrously bigger. I mean, it's dramatically bigger, right? And it's it's kind of recurring because you're eating every day, right? You're eating three meals a day. So it's not like, yeah, I'm going to pay four bucks per seat per month for some HR software. But, you know, you're going to eat how many Impossible Burgers, how many Impossible Chicken Nuggets are you going to eat per week? It kind of probably more. Um it, it scales as a function of capacity and supply. So the demand is dramatic. So you'll see sales go like this, and then we'll build a factory and it'll shoot up. I'm using my fingers here, but you'll see these step functions in growth as a function of of, build, of putting on supply. And, it, and you have to build these plants. So it takes time. It costs a lot of CapEx. Uh, but the, because the market is so big, and especially when it comes to you know plant-based foods, uh, food, you know, the food market's all about cost, convenience, and taste, right? Impossible now. You can get, you know, mail order. You can get in almost all retail. You can get in tons of quick service restaurants. So it's convenient. I think the taste is as good, if not better. If you, if you know, certainly if you've tried the chicken nuggets, uh, impossible that you could tell the difference. There's just no way you could. Absolutely tell true. Right. Right. Um, and the taste test with the burgers and the pork give you similar type results. But I think the chicken nuggets are the most, I think, difficult to distinguish. Um, and then cost, we're continually bringing down the cost. We're on the two for five menu at Burger King. I mean, you know, we, you, you know at first, you know, we were putting in these high-end restaurants. And people are like, ah, it's only for the rich. Then we went to White Castle. Now we're in Burger King. Now we're in the combo menus at Burger King. Like, and we're selling possible Whopper with a patty made from plants only at Burger King. People are going to Burger King. People are going to Starbucks and they're buying. It's a great opportunity to sample it too. I mean, you know what, what's my investment? It's a, you know, it's a three, $4 burger. Yeah. Yeah. Three, $4 burger and you enjoy it. And then when you go to your Safeway or, you know, Kroger or Albertsons and it's there, you're like, great. Your your investment in Impossible comes after some frustrations in in green tech. I all kinds of people want to save the world and use money to do it, uh, but there were frustrations. Oh, for sure, big frustrations. Kozla Ventures bet big in things like making ethanol from wood chips, and some of those investments were spectacular failures, which got a lot of attention. That's just venture capital, and the firm's been very upfront about its missteps. We made a lot of investments in ethanol, which didn't work out. We made investments in solar panels that didn't work out. Um, some like renewable plastics and things like that that were fan- better 
better than existing materials. But what also happened is, remember, as these clean tech companies, sustainable companies scaled, you also hit the financial crisis. So what markets, what type of companies are going to get hurt more than illiquid, high capex, commodity-like materials, right? That's just, you're going to get crushed, right? And what's not going to get hit is Burger King. Burger King, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who would you would never have guessed when you were you know thinking about you know uh, wood and ethanol and whatnot that the answer might have been hamburgers? Would not have thought that. Now, like I think that um, I yeah, I think you start to then also pivot. Just and this happened in Web 1.0 versus Web 2.0 versus whatever we're in now. Um, if you look in when I was in business school in 2000, you had the patch.com and stamp.coms and e-toys and webman, all these companies that then failed. And I remember when we, you know, we, we were the first money in Instacart. So we put the first million dollars in there and that obviously has become a tremendous return uh, and will be when, whenever they decide to go public. But it was amazing how, you know, when, when I asked, I go, I had, a, I still remember I had a drink with the CEO at like nine 30 at night and I was late because I was, dealing with my, putting my kids to bed and I almost didn't make it, but I went because I didn't want to be rude. And Apoorva is just a terrific entrepreneur. So it was the best decision. <laughs> you know, like I, it was fantastic. But I remember talking to him and a lot of people were passing on Instacart because they still had memories of Webvan. And, and, but they didn't put together back then you had to drive home, go on your dial up AOL connection modem, you know, with shh, you know, wait for that mm-hmm. noise to log on and then put it in order on a terrible web-faced UI. Whereas with Instacart, while you're stuck at a traffic light or in the back of an Uber, you can order groceries for the week and they're there by the time you get home. I mean, it's like a totally different, different. And, and so I think the other thing that we pride ourselves at are thinking about, hey, we invest in all these super cool technologies. Like we have a company called Mojo, which does AR through contact lenses. So you ask yourself, hey, we believe this company is going to work, right? Yes, we believe that people will all that AR is the next platform after the iPhone, and people will be, people don't want to wear goofy goggles. But if it's contact lenses in their eyes, they do it. Um, then what? Like, what would we have wished we had invested in if we knew that? Because we've got an insight now that that the world can move in this direction. So what what would we if we could go back five years? What would we invest in? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. How would that even begin to work, AR, in your contact lenses? The technology that's going to have to be developed, and of course, you know, we see technology developed in amazing ways, but... But, you know, where does the power come from? Where is the, the receiver, et cetera? Yep. So it, they've sorted out m- almost all. And I think soon soon this year, I'm happy to invite you to the company. You can put one of these in your eye yourself. It'll be allowed to do that. It's um, it, And so I'll let the company tell more about it, but it's all embedded. So you're printing a silicon circuit on a contact lens that can be a prescriptive contact lens that's aerated. And the battery uh, image sensors are all in the contact lens. Audio is with AirPods and visuals, obviously, through the contact lens. Um, and uh, and you do data transfer through uh, RF. Uh, you know, the the person I would have expected to have invented that would be Elon Musk. Uh, now, you 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 skipped uh, uh, an investment in Tesla, right? Yeah, uh, it, that's a painful one because and that, <laughs> that, it, it, we just didn't. You believe- like how I transitioned though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Uh, next, you'll talk about the 49ers or the Michigan <laughs> game, or you know, I don't know what else you'll bring up that's haunting me these days. But um, look, we didn't think that um, electric cars, a full auto company, could be built with venture capital dollars. And we were obviously very wrong because, you know, but and the mistake we made, which I've learned from, it was you know, 14 years ago or so is that when you have someone as, as exceptional as Elon, just make the investment. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Just make the investment because there's he's a once-in-a-lifetime type entrepreneur, and he's proven that, and we should have recognized that because we're also in the talent business. And so that... Now, we we did QuantumScape because we believed that if you could... We believed that, hey, why pick one... We believed in electric vehicles, uh, we, but we said, hey, look, why pick one brand, one electric vehicle? Because, you know... You know why not pick the best battery technology out there? Because then everybody will need that. Because that'll be a that'll be we thought that would be the bottleneck, and it still is, frankly, right? Uh, the the bottleneck in electric car adoption still is what's the range? How fast does it take to charge? Like, you know, I still charge my Tesla. It takes in a supercharger, it takes me twenty minutes to charge it up, thirty minutes to charge it up. Well, it should be five. That's what it takes for me to charge at a gas station, right? And and there have to be stations all over the place so I can drive do a five hundred mile road trip. And, you know, can I get cars with a 500-mile range? So batteries are still the rate limits have to like even further adopt. And the adoption is fantastic, but even further. Uh, so I'm very happy that we made the, you know, we incubated QuantumScape with Jack D. Um, but, yeah, no, we obviously missed on Tesla. That, you were a C- that, that's one more thing I would say there, Scott. Yeah. To the, to the up-and-coming venture capitalists, you want to learn from the companies you passed on and, or missed Right. And so I've learned, you know, when you get an exceptional entrepreneur, don't worry so much about valuation or what they're doing. Just invest in he or she because they're going to make success happen. Um, But you have to focus on the investments that you've done because that's in the end of the day, there's lots of good companies out there. Um, uh, So and I'm sure there's some in your portfolio. You have to focus on those. You originally were a CEO before in you came to venture uh, and raised money from venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you learned from being on both sides of that table? Well, one is I think 
the a level of respect that I still remember people that were incredibly rude to me when I was an entrepreneur. Um, I remember I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in Kleiner Perkins giving a pitch and um, they ended up investing. Um, but they had a, the senior partner was a really nice guy and he had to leave and he apologized said, look, I got to leave, but so-and-so my associate will finish up and walk you out. Cause you're, you're young. I was 26 year old, 27 year old entrepreneur. Like you're in the fabled halls of Kleiner Perkins and Sandal road. You're very intimidated. Right. And I still remember this, like, like two minutes after the senior partner was a really good dude left. The junior person got up and left. I said, I got to go and just left. So now I'm like picking up my computer, my laptop, and where do I put my coffee cup? How do I get out of here? And I'm just like, like, oh my God. Like, and, and so you remember, it's crazy. They end up investing too. So it's like, you know, it all worked out. But you remember those things. So like, you know, you come to Coastal Ventures, either I will walk you out or an associate or my someone is going to walk you out show you where the elevator is and get you settled, call your Uber, whatever. Uh, and, and so, uh, because in the end of the day, you know, to have the privilege to invest in entrepreneur, you have to win the deal first. So I feel like I always put my best foot forward and, you know, try to get to the, the entrepreneur to want to work with me in parallel with doing due diligence because it, because you're going to end up signing up for a 10 year relationship. So you know, it's just broader than does the technical diligence or the financials or the IP work itself out. There is, you know, all young entrepreneurs sitting down in front of venture for the first time are going to be intimidated. But there's something that is extra intimidating about Coastal Ventures, I think. It's, you know, that's a big name. I, I hope, look, I can understand that, but... uh I definitely hope that because we're all entrepreneurs, was an entrepreneur, I was an entrepreneur, Swen, David, we've all been entrepreneurs, that we've been in those shoes and we, I can understand the intimidation walking in. I hope the intimidation uh, disappears within minutes of, of spending time with us. You've just started a new fund, Fund 7. It's enormous. Um well, not by today's standards. You know, we, <laughs> you, know, you know, we were uh, we were one of the first to raise a billion dollar venture fund back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and now that feels like you know every uh, every other day. It's like Steph Curry scoring thirty points. Right. Yes, I've got a. Uh, I've got. Hold on, I'm going to go get. I've got a prop on my bookshelf. Obviously, he can't see this like Samir can over our video link. It's a crystal trophy that reads November 2012 E-Fluidator, that's a made-up company, IPO $26,200,000. It's from the uh, the TV show uh, Silicon Valley, and it's, um, uh, you know, the marking a, a fictional IPO for the fictional uh, venture capitalist Monica Hall, yeah. uh, in which they raised $26 million which is a laughable that's amount a, of money at this point. It's a seed round nowadays. It's, it's a seed round, yes. Um, what about valuations? Valuations um, have gotten very high, and it's sometimes, I think, hard to, to calculate the risk when the valuations get that high. Yeah, it, yeah, that's a great question. It's one we obviously get asked a lot, right? If 
so there's been, it, when you think about valuations, I look at it as, do I think this company, you know, I look at all my investments with four, four stools, four legs to a stool. Like, is there a really good- That's a chair, by the way. Yeah, that's a, that's a chair, exactly. So is it, is it an, is the entrepreneur, is he or she really good? Um, uh, is the market large? I don't want to take market risk. So I don't want to spend a lot of money figuring out whether people need this or not. Like I, it has to be something that's obvious, like, you know, AR and contact lenses or plant-based foods that taste better, cost the same and are widely available. Right? It has to be something like that. Then is there something really proprietary on the technology side that keeps, um, that becomes a, a barrier to entry? Um, and then does the deal make sense? Right. And when I think about the deal making sense, I look at it as that if I think a seven to 10 year horizon, can this be, you know, a, a, a game changing technology in a large market? And as such, what would that type of company be valued? You know, am I being rewarded for the risk I'm taking? Um, uh, but, you know, it does mean that there are times when I'm looking at valuation. I'm like, I just, I just don't buy it, guys. Like, you know, and, or you say, wow, that's a pretty aggressive valuation. Even though I know your next round will be higher, that might be a better risk reward because you'll have then, you know, reduced whether it's market, product market fit or regulatory risk or some milestone technically. If I'm paying 2x from now, it's cheaper actually than paying what you're asking me for now. And you, like a number of firms, have started opportunity funds where you can go back in. You're not taking the first risk. You're you're doubling down on on companies that you already trust and know. Right. We so we would have taken the first risk in those situations we're already in. What we did, you know, and this was kind of um, we looked at these companies that we led the Series A's or Series B's or C's. You know, the Impossibles, the QuantumScape, Stripe, Square, Instacart, DoorDash. GitLab, Okta, like all these, like just you know, very successful, Affirm, Rocket Lab, you know, very very uh, successful companies. Um, we looked at boy, if we had just kept our pro rata rights and done pro rata across, and not even just the success across all of our companies, we didn't bias it. The IRR was in the 30s, maybe even low 40s, and we're like, wow, we're still working really hard on these companies. So it's not that by not investing, we're like, okay, someone else do the work. Um, we're just handing 30 to 40% IRR away from us and our investors to later stage funds. And we're causing more complication for the entrepreneurs who would prefer for us just to keep working with them. They don't want to go fundraising. They don't want to add other board members. And we're like, okay, we should go do that. And then, you know, we kind of, uh, we're oversubscribed pretty quickly and and we've made some and we, you know, so things like Checker and Impossible and Fair, which you know, uh, uh, OpenTrons, companies like that, that otherwise we would have, uh, you know, not participated in their later rounds. We did. We still see three, five, ten x from where they are now, and we now we have the the product or the instrument that allows us to invest in them. It's nice to have a series of wins that you then get to reinvest in. Yeah, it it is. That's worked out well for us. <laughs> The last question I would be remiss. I know you are a sports nut, uh, and we are speaking on a day in which your favorite NFL team has announced its name, and I can see you sort of twitching your lip a little. So I'm glad I asked. What do you think? I'm glad you asked too, because I hope you get a bit like 
you know, I just when I thought Dan Snyder couldn't screw up the team more. Just in case you're not familiar, Dan Snyder is the widely disliked billionaire owner of the Washington, D.C.-based NFL team, and Samir is one of their biggest fans. Known for decades as the Redskins, former quarterback Doug Williams announced the new team name live on NBC's Today Show. What is the new team name? Doug, what is it? We are the Commanders. <laughs> It's bananas. Like it's a long name. It's not catchy. Like go commanders. There's a lot. It's like, like you know, go Niners, go Skins, go Blue. What are you gonna do? Go commies? No, <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, pick something at least that has starts with an R. You know, with the Redskins or something. I mean, I, I understand the name chain. I'm not disputing that. But oh no, no, by me either. But. But, you know, but, I was kind of fond of the Washington football team. It had kind of a soccer sound to it. It was not terrible. It's better than Commanders. I'm not saying I was a fan of the Washington football team either. It was better than the Commanders. But, you know, I think Snyder just, um, you know, like, it, it, and it's amazing. Like, he he still makes money. You know, John Riggins is like one of my all-time favorite former Washington whatever football team players was, you know, begging people to stop going to the games. Because then maybe he wouldn't make the kind of money he's making, and then maybe he'd sell the team, and so we can actually get reasonable ownership back in place. But <laughs> it's you're in Washington D.C. Everybody loves the football team there. You can you can really rally the city around that versus all the other craziness that I'm definitely not going to talk about going on in Washington. But <laughs> but you screw this up like. I have friends who are now becoming Ravens fans because they're like, this is just, we've had it. Sports fan, proud Michigan Wolverine, U.S. ski team executive, and founding general partner of Coastal Adventures, Semir Call. Next week on Sand Hill Road. I set the frequency, voltage, and duration of the discharge, and when I'm ready... I hit the release button. We go inside the dark room of artist Robert Bultman. His electrified photos of nature can be found in the lobbies and offices of venture firms up and down Sand Hill Road. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.